Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Hi, welcome to Mindspace. I'm Jeff Boucher, and I'm here with Maya St. Clair. And this week, we're talking to Mike Rianda. Uh, he's the guy behind The Mitchells versus the Machines, which is a great new animated film that you can find on Netflix. He's also worked on Gravity Falls, and he's a very fun guy. Uh, he has a lot to say, and uh, it's a treat to talk to him, and I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I am doing well. It's good to see you. It's good to talk to you. Thank, thank you for having me on. Uh, your list of guests was very impressive. I was like, why, why am I on this? <laughs> George oh, we, Romero? Come on. No, we just made that up. We do have 80 of those people. It's like, so, yeah, uh, the audio file is blank. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's actually it was actually George Romero's son because you know George Romero oh, passed away. Yeah, okay, that may, that does make more sense. Um, yeah, but he could have been a zombie. <laughs> yeah, we were actually just talking about the Dawn of the Dead reference in, in Mitchell's. So. Oh, yeah, I, I love Dawn of the Dead. Um, yeah, it's the best. It's it the best. The best. It's, it's like so fun, but also really smart. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, um, also it has one of the best audio commentaries of all time. The cast audio commentary of that. It's beautiful. Really? Oh, yeah, I never checked that out. The, if you get, there's some version, I still have it. It's like a black DVD and it was like a five disc set or something. And it had multiple audio commentaries. And the one with the cast was a ton of fun because they were like, I don't think they had, had they acted that much since. So they were all just like happy to see each other and stuff. It was very fun to listen to. That's great. I have to ask you, this is going to confuse our listeners because they can't see us, but sure. over your shoulder, is that, that's not a Bernie Wrightson. Uh, no, it's not. No, uh, this is, these are just like um, a bunch of, my wife's a fine artist and these are some of her friends and some people, some of them are, are fancy artists that you might know, but most of them nice. are friends. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, it's very, that's very grim and dark and it makes me feel <laughs> I know, they asked it in the publicity, they're like, can you take the drowning man down <laughs> i'm like i don't know it's fun it makes uh, me want to lie down in the snow <laughs> <laughs> you know i had a, a line in a story once and uh when i used to write for the la times for like 20 years uh -huh. and uh there was one time the, the copy desk came to me and said we don't think you should say this and i said why uh and what it was is i was describing the art of darwin cook uh the great mm -hmm. darwin cook darwin cook and and his for his uh, one of his graphic novels, it only had it was the Parker one. It only had like blues and greens and blacks. And I said that it was uh, drowning victim blue. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's me. very evocative. Well, you <laughs> feel it, right? Exactly, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm a boom. 
you don't feel good about it, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I said, look, it's that's it's evocative. And they're like, it's disgusting. Like <laughs> I said, okay. I know that graphic novel too, and you're right. It is drowning victim. Thank you, thank you. But they they made me cut it out. You know, uh, sensitivities being what they were. But luckily, newspapers aren't around anymore, so no, don't have to worry about that. No, it's good. Uh, I want to congratulate you. What a great movie. Oh, thanks, man. I, <laughs> it is really great. It's a great uh, directorial feature debut. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, uh, thank, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, the funny thing is it was really, it's, it was such a team effort um, that I feel, I don't feel like I can even take that praise <laughs> because um, so many people sort of threw into it and it was, it was like really this like dream team of it and it was a dream team of like people who had never made a movie before we felt like we were like a bunch of film school students that just hijacked a major anime <laughs> like look we got our hands on x million dollars let's go wild that's great <laughs> um and uh and it was so fun um <clears throat> so they say uh john favreau has a saying he says uh some movies are uh, released others escape yes <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said about Zathura he said Zathura yes. just escaped <laughs> the whole time I was waiting for someone to cancel the movie I was like they're not really gonna let us release this right well it's a good thing they did it it's a good thing they did it because it turned out great and uh a great cast uh tell me about that uh how is that aspect of filmmaking for you because it's a different uh it's a different uh muscle yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, the cast was so interesting because because it's a movie. Because I had previously worked in TV, and it's like it's hard to get someone on a TV show, especially a kids' TV show, because it's like this is going to be years, you know. And they're like, oh boy, um, you know. But <laughs> but in one of these animated movies, it's really wonderful because you can get you know the people that you're like the, the dream team. You know, you could actually get them. Um, and and it was it was like a lot of you know, because the, the characters were written way before we cast the movie. Um, and in the previews and stuff, you know, us and, you know, I would do a bunch of the voices, you know, my co-director Jeff and co-writer would do some of the voices. And it was just a bunch of goobers, you know, in a room. And then, but when it came to actually picking the people, we just put, you know, their name or, the, you know, a clip of their of them next to, on the character's face and seeing how it played and stuff. And we went through like, with for every single person, we went through like hundreds of people. Um, and it was awesome that we were able to get the people that we wanted. Um, like Abby Jacobson turned in this audition that had 20 great improvs per line that were like 10 times funnier than we wrote. And like Maya Rudolph is like blindingly talented in the room. Like she's a better actor. She's, she's like an insanely good actor. She's an insanely funny person who can improv for hours, you know? And that, that was one thing that we were looking for is like ability to generate stuff, you know, because we got a lot of people who are like writers and directors and stuff like Danny McBride and Abby Jacobs. Oh, yeah. And they're able to shape the scene a little bit while they're in the booth and like, oh, maybe this tag would help and and this sort of thing. So and we were, we were lucky enough to be able to use a ton of that improv. And I really feel like it helps bring the movie to life because you're working on these things for so long. It's like you just kind of have this memory of like, this joke was funny once. And then it, it, it takes somebody to like, bring it back to life and like, you know, pull out the paddles um, yeah. and add some tag to it where it's like, there's some joke in the movie where Rick's like, son, you know, 
I love the dog. You love the dog. We all love the dog, but it's, uh, you know, you have to be prepared to eat the dog. And then Danny McBride added on like, Oh, Oh, sorry. Misread the room on that one. Uh, which is like made that made it, made it like a statement from a human being and not just like a joke written on a page. Yeah. Um, so they added a ton of that kind of stuff. And it was, it was really like seriously a dream come true to work with all of them. And no, they're also, in Hollywood, I assume everyone's going to be a massive jerk. Everyone was so nice. <laughs> I feel like none of them were like, don't look at me. <laughs> they were all really sweet people. So that was cool too. Again, that makes it feel like a student film. That's not the way it's supposed yeah. to be. Everybody's supposed to be, you know, supposed to have an attitude and such. Um, exactly. One of the things that, uh, uh, that Maya and I were talking about, Maya St. Clair, not Maya Rudolph, uh, before uh, <laughs> he, he jumped on is um, the sort of... Uh, where Furbies fall in the grand scheme of things. Like, see, like, to me, there's like a through line between like Oompa Loompa, well, Munchkins, sure. Oompa Loompas, mm-hmm. Minions, yeah. F- Furbies. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but anyway. Um, what I, they seem like they have a lot in common. Um, yeah. I think I think the reason I my theory as to why Furbies still hold some sort of power over the popular imagination, hopefully, is that like because many people thought that that scene uh, should be cut. Um, oh. They thought it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, it was like this is the worst scene in the movie. Um, uh, <laughs> and you know, to to their credit, at certain points, you know, at, at certain points in the movie, there was like. 20 minutes of dark toy jokes where it's like you foolish humans and it was like a little doll or something um and that joke just got old and we sort of worked it to the point where it actually made sense in the story hopefully or at least sense as much sense as it's gonna make um uh but um i I, my theory is that the the furbies are like one there's something that people got when they were kids and they they didn't work as well as they were advertised so even when you turned out the lights they would still coo and whatever like i've talked to like 25 people recently who just said oh yeah i put my furby in the closet and turned it off and it was still talking and that's a, a night <laughs> a waking nightmare for me as a child so basically this movie is therapy um it's just me trying to master those feelings of fear as a child from a child um uh and then i also think that furbies are super um earnest like i think if you I like looked up when we were making this, I looked up sort of the origin of it and it was like a farmer's idea. It wasn't like a toy company. It was like a farmer who was like, I, you know, kids love owls. We should have like an owl that talks. <laughs> and he like made a prototype and he sold it and stuff. And it's such a sincere, bizarre object. It, it, yeah. it was like not made by a boardroom. It was made by one lunatic <laughs> yeah. um, who, who sort of put it out in the world. and and. I think in the movie we sort of tried to thrive on like authenticity and 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 anything that was sort of genuinely strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, organically, authentically weird. Yes, uh, they 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 definitely reside in the Valley of the Canny though, with those those like dead Furby eyes of theirs. <laughs> um, yeah. Now you were you were you you gave voice to Furby. Yeah. Oh yes, I am. I am the. I, I am the nice. voice of the giant for me. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. I like that. That's really cool. Um, one of the things that I, I find fascinating um, about movies like this is that it it falls in that great tradition of movies that have peril and and like real stakes and and mm-hmm. you know levels, 
um, but it's also fun. And, yeah. and, and those don't always go together. Like it, it's kind of a tricky balance. You know, I think like the Men in Black movies have done it well, the Ghostbusters yeah. movies, the uh, especially the first movie, obviously did it really, really well. Um, going into this project, what, what, uh, what can you tell me about some of the choices you had to make or some of the balances of, of getting that? No, Alan's <laughs> funny is um, the initially, I mean, cause like I really love uh, this movie Attack the Block that's oh, sort yeah. of in the same, you know, because it's very scary at points, but it's also really funny and yeah. and it's really real and it has something to say. And I I, I really love that movie. And and like um, and at points that because the studio at, at first were like, well, they're like, we don't know what this is. Maybe it's an maybe it's R rated. Maybe it's PG thirteen. You know, go nuts. Um, <laughs> and so we're like, all right, let's go crazy. And at the first scene we ever did of the robots attacking, people were getting like, flew, were like flying into walls. <laughs> and there was literally, you know, the, the, the head of the studio very rightly was like, listen to me, there's a scene of robots stacking human bodies and putting them in a truck. You think that's a good look for kids? <laughs> How many toys are you going to sell, kid? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like as he's smoking a cigar. Um, but it was like, he was right, you know, like people were horrified by that. <laughs> so we, so we ended up, uh, and, and the, one of the cool things about it is that we, and we, it, we, we, we really did adjust it. And after we got that note, we actually adjusted it too far and we took all the stakes out of it. And then we realized, oh, this is too far. And we, but we did find that like with tractor beams and, you know, rocket boots and stuff, we were able to do creatively we're Less able to lethal. use creative, creative ways to solve these things that made the movie sort of like a little bit more engaging. Because when you take something out, you can't just take it out and not replace it with anything. Like, right. you know, if you take out, you know, whatever, like in this case, like the horrifying lasers, um, you, can't, <laughs> you have to put something inventive and interesting in its place or else the movie will just feel like, will feel like something's been taken out. And it's like, sure. what, what's going on here? Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's like when you see a rated R movie edited for TV, and it just it just feels yeah. like a, something someone's kicked a video game, and it's not working. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally, exactly. Uh, forget you. Um, yeah, <laughs> just the most inane thing ever. Like it, that's all they could come up with. I don't, I don't have anything better. But forget you. I love that. Um, you know, one of the things. I mean, this is such a great time for animation uh, in general. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I wondered, I like the look of the characters and I like the aesthetic uh, and the design. Is it difficult these days making those kind of decision, decisions? Because it seems to me like after the, the amazing run that Pixar's had, and, and obviously Pixar films are not uh, homogeneous or anything. They, they, mm -hmm. they, they're all, uh, they each stand on their own. But there's a certain look that be has become like kind of yeah. the central kind of lexicon of animation and stuff. Do you find uh, that was hard to resist or is everybody kind of open to, um, you know, everything shy of uh, mass human slaughter? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny because it, it, because that's so prevalent, it is sort of the default. You know, um, and and one thing that we noticed is that, you know, because we're in the industry and we can really see all the work and effort that goes in these things. It's like there were some movies that were coming out that were like gorgeous movies and audiences are like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just that's just what they look like. You know, yeah. great. This is an animated movie, just like the rest of them. And we found that you really have to do something dip like really different 
to make people even notice, you know, yeah. because it's like there's animated movies that come out that are beautiful, but they they are sort of in the style of of a regular animated movie and people don't even notice that anything is different. So it was really difficult because it forces it forces the artists to make, you know, choices that that the studios never made before and the you know the people who are watching the money are like this is taking too long what's going on um, um but luckily we got insanely lucky because we literally inherited the team that just did into the spider-verse which is like you know it's like inheriting the 95 bulls like hey uh you, you, you know you got jordan and pippen on your team and you're like what wait, what really yeah, yeah. Oh, holy <laughs> crap um uh so so and they were oh, really take Rodman too. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like we were all beaked up because we, you know, because it was like this like hijack movie. And then they were all excited too because they were like, "What else she got?" And we're like, "Really?" And <laughs> yeah. um, because they had they had had a lot of fun jumping out of their comfort zone to do that movie. And even though we were developing the movie at Parallel Tracks, at a certain point, I was like, ah, I think this is just going to look like every other animated movie because I don't know if we have the budget and blah, blah, blah. But the the team was really great. And and also we had gotten permission from the audiences that that, that really love Spider-Verse that were like, no, this is an asset. You know, this isn't a liability. That's you know, right. it's, it's like, it's so, so we were able to like go down that road even further because we were nudging at it. Um, but, but both having that team and Spider-Verse doing so well allowed us to really put the pedal to the metal and, and try to make the movie look as different as possible. I think Spider-Verse is going to really be remembered for a long time as like a real turning point movie. I mean, it, it, it was such a successful um, representation. It seemed to me for that for years and years, it, Hollywood looked at comic books and said, okay, how do we make this into a movie? And and with this one, they, they looked at a movie and said, how do we make it into a comic yeah, book? You exactly. know? Uh, uh, Sin City kind of did that as well in, in its own way um, and it's just such a, a refreshing, it was such an exciting movie to see because it just was all over the place and the use of hip hop was amazing Yeah, uh, just the whole thing um, do, do you get that feeling I, mean, you, I know you got you know, you got to be nice to the bosses, so of course you're going to agree. Uh, you know, like, they, it really is going to be kind of a, a, a landmark moment, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, no, I hated it. <laughs> no, <laughs> haven't um, seen it. Haven't uh, seen yeah, it. exactly. Oh, haven't, <laughs> still haven't gotten around to that. Uh, <laughs> Toby Maguire was great. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I will say, like, I saw, I ended up seeing that movie in my office because I missed the screening because I was working. And then I was like, give me a screener. Can I get a screener? And then they gave me a screener. I was like blown to the back of my chair. My jaw was open. Like I came out, I was like, oh. there's no one at the office because it was like Christmas or something. I was like, oh, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, they did it. Um, because, you know, as an animator, you've like the exact thing you were talking about. It's like, why can't we, you know, you sit there and you have like lunch with your fellow jaded animator friends and you're like, why don't they have animated movies that look like comic books? <laughs> do this, you know, why do we have to see the irises? You know, like we have really specific little bugaboos. Um, but seeing seeing somebody really commit to that look, and also in addition to it, you know, I was like, uh, you know, I watched a lot of experimental films in college and stuff. Usually experimental films are just like uh, interesting from an artistic perspective, but just totally 
a drag to watch. Yeah, kind um, of indulgent. Right? Yeah, you know? and that movie was like both the most entertaining movie I'd seen in 10 years and I cried and I laughed um, and I thought made me think about my life and it was like wildly experimental. Like it was, it was such a, it was such a high bar and I, it, was, it made us so excited because we're like, all right, we got to live up to that. Holy crap. Um, you know, so we're, um, it was, it was, uh, it was a really exciting, it was exciting to all of us to, to try to live up to that and try to not, you know, embarrass ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And, and also like it, along with I, when Guardians of the Galaxy, when they announced that, that's when, uh, obviously not an animated film, but that's, that's the last time before Spider-Verse that I had a feeling like, I can't believe I live in this world because I used yeah. to read, when I was a kid, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy couldn't even be a comic book for long because it got canceled. But, I mean, nobody, and none of these guys were in it. And what? Like, in that, and the boys are on TV now? Like, I, my head's exploding. Um, and that's how I felt with Spider-Verse because it, it, there was such a assumption that the audience will keep up with, yeah. here's a different Spider-Man. And there's a different Spider-Man. And, oh, don't worry, we'll we'll get we'll take fill you in, you know, like yeah. And just people went with it. I was like looking around in the theater, like, so you people would have gone for like the Freedom Fighters and Justice League, <laughs> Justice Society, Legion of Superheroes team up against you know some giant wizard. Like I, I, I people I remember happened. thinking I remember thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, they're putting Spider-Ham in a comic? Like, I'm the only person in 10 miles that knows about Spider-Ham. And you know, and it was and, and also at the same time, like when I was, a, I have the same feeling you had where it's like, when I was a kid, I wrote a letter to Marvel in chant form, just writing, crawling, <laughs> we want Ant-Man, just sort of over and over, like in my little kid, because I was like, I like Ant-Man, he's not in the Avengers enough or whatever. And then my, and my cousin, I remember made fun of me for it. He's like, what, you, what, you wrote a chant to Marvel? What, what do you think they're gonna do? And like, now we live in a world where there's like three Ant-Man. Hey, no, there's three of them. <laughs> Yeah, we it's wild. It's just it's it's bonkers. It's yeah. just it's bonkers. It, it feels like we're living in a like some like a nerd's you know fever dream or something. Yeah, this is like Jacob's ladder. Like yeah. I I I'm still sitting in uh, Phantom Menace screening, uh, and 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 I fell asleep, and everything I'm I you know I just blacked out because I couldn't take it anymore, and everything that's happened since is just in my head. So exactly, uh, Danny Aiello needs to get here pretty quick because I I'm ready for my my treatment. Um, you know, you you mentioned uh, that uh, you know early on they gave you like the free reign to to see how far you could go, and and mm -hmm. and then. Uh, uh, then disappoint you and drag you back. But uh, with, you said rated R, um, we haven't really seen rated R animation, uh, um, you know, kind of as a, as you would think that we would at this point. Yeah. Like to me after 300, which I know isn't animated, but mm -hmm. I mean, the way that it was made it was so close to animation and, and visually it's such a, a different world, much like Spider-Verse. Um, it seems to me they could be making rated R films already for animated feature films but we don't really see that you know do you think we will i i i do i i think there's never been a better time in the history of the world especially mm -hmm. i mean because the funny thing is it's like it seems like such a wild concept and it's like they have japan is nothing but r-rated animated films and and europe mm -hmm. has tons of you know like other cultures are doing it um and i think the, the you know it's we live in such a sort of like studio um you know, system in America that it's like, it's like, th look, th these, these movies sell to kids, go baby. 
Um, right. And and it was it's really refreshing. Sony is actually doing some R-rated animated movies with Gendy Tartakovsky and and other people. And and that's something I'm really interested in. And and something that I think is is really ripe with all these streaming services because everyone is trying to uh, differentiate themselves from each other. Um, and and so you know there's everyone's people are trying new things for the first time in years um and it's really exciting and and sony is being really um courageous in that front because it's like to me it's like after spider-verse like make a animated horror movie make an animate you know like an animated horror movie would be terrifying because you control every single aspect of the frame and you could maximize you know you know the the fear or whatever and you know you can tell all kinds of stories in animation that just haven't been done before like that um, Spawn series that they used to have on HBO, you remember? Like, yeah, way, totally. way, way back when. But like you know, uh, intense. Um, mm-hmm. And did you did you see the uh, uh, the new uh, Robert Kirkman? Uh, I haven't yet. I'm excited about it. Invincible. I love I love his stuff. Yeah, me too. It's fantastic. That. It's really great. And and there is a scene in there where bodies are stacked up. There's like a whole yeah. pile of bodies. <laughs> Um, I'll show my boss. Like, see, <laughs> it can be done. It can be done. Uh, I, yeah, and it seems to me like I, you know, like Marvel and DC. Like, if they went and looked at the kind of edges of their 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 uh, character library, mm-hmm. like I, I mean, I think like uh, uh, a Silver Surfer animated film. Like, just yeah. do the Silver Surfer as an animated film. Like the whole thing. You know, absolutely. Uh, or a Conan Barbarian, like why not? Yeah, like, you're not gonna... yeah, like do it like a Frazetta painting or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? You know. Yeah, um, but I'm also the guy that thinks that a, a Swamp Thing musical sounds like a good idea. So, <laughs> I think all kinds of music. You're not wrong. I mean, I feel like we're we're about 20 minutes away from reading that on Deadline.com. So you got exactly. if you want to do it, hurry. <laughs> okay, here's what I got. Arkham <laughs> Asylum. Okay, it's a okay. musical. Every cell has a different song. It's, uh, I'm telling you, Killer Croc, it's going to work. Um, it's, I, I really do. I think they could. They, they should do like a Supergirl musical. Yeah, like, totally. You know? But there's only been really two superhero musicals ever. Uh, Superman, that they had, um, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman in 1966. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob Halliday started it. And then... Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, which which was like, you know, a historic colossal failure. Yeah. So, yeah. well, there goes that idea. It's ripe. We've never been in a better situation for a superhero musical. The Harley Quinn, a Harley Quinn musical would just kill. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it would Blow be. the roofs up. What's the, um, what's that graphic novel with her and uh, Poison Ivy? Oh, Bird, Birds of Prey? Yeah, 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 yeah. I could have a Prince of Prey. Um, and yeah. Um, what? For you, um, growing up, what animation was the first to grab you? Yeah, it was. It was really. Um, it was sort of a combination because I sort of thought of the Simpsons as different than animation. I'm like, oh, this isn't like real animation, but like, I love the Simpsons. Me too. And and just sort of like, I've been actually rewatching it and it's like, it holds up like, I'm dying laughing at these episodes like that are 20 years old. Um, yeah. um, but it, it's like, I love the Simpsons. I would tape, I had volumes of VHS tapes that I would tape it in the afternoon and stuff. That's um, great. So, so that Is that was- Is that why you had Conan? Is that why you had Conan? <laughs> Oh, hey man it was that was part of the dream i mean he's so good he's so yeah. funny yeah. and he's also 
some people who are funny in real life or in funny, you know, on TV or something, and you meet them in real life, they're like, hi, how's it going? You know, and they're very, yeah, a lot of them. Conan O'Brien was like on, like he was like the funniest person I've ever met. Wow. Um, and he, he was, he was really awesome. But, um, uh, <laughs> we said, <laughs> we, we did the recording session <laughs> and, and then when we left, we were like, oh, hey, bye Conan. He's like, security, get these people <laughs> away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's like, don't make eye contact with me. I mean, he, hopefully he was joking. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, no he's, he's out of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, so oh, Simpsons, yeah, yeah. So, so the Simpsons, and then also, and also I really loved Ren and Stimpy, um, oh, which is so, like, expressive and wild and on the other end of the spectrum in terms of art, where it's like, the art of it is sort of what's entertaining about it. Whereas, like, yeah. the Simpsons... The art is great, and the the filmmaking is really wonderful. But it's it's so it's it's so much more of a writing based show. Um, so those two things kind of like fused in my head, and you know, like you know, Pixar movies and stuff. And and yeah, you know. it's kind of interesting to trace back and go, you know, like go back to like you know uh, Woody Woodpecker and and back to you know all the Fleischer stuff. The, yeah, the animation, just so many different and interesting chapters. Uh, but it's because of I think the Disney success because it was so per- per- pervasive. Yeah. You know, people hear animation, they still a lot of people. Yes. Of a certain age will still think Disney no matter what. Well, no, and 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 I do think that it it is sort of like there's so many wonderful little doorways to open up because as a teenager I was only interested in animation history and I had like a blog about this obscure animator Rod Scribner that's still on up there. He's one oh. of the best of all time. Um, I'll check but that out. Um, I like interviewed people that worked with him and one of the person people i interviewed that worked with him my computer crashed and i was like could i interview you again i lost the interview the guy's like, the guy's like no oh. <laughs> that was enough <laughs> but um but um and i because i always really loved you know i disney cartoons are great but i always really loved warner brothers cartoons and like i do really feel like that chaotic energy i sort of like is like infused in the movie and also the other thing I loved about Disney cartoons or I loved about Warner Brothers cartoons when I was a kid is they always felt like really real. I was like, I feel like I know people like this. Um, and Disney cartoons for as wonderful as they looked sometimes were like, I'm a happy, you know, mouse. <laughs> you know, and I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. I can't engage with this as directly, you know, I like Goofy, but. Oh, that's interesting. Perfect. I like, I like people with flaws, I guess. Well, it, well they're uh, in the real world. It's not like, you know, um, wherever mickey lives which is like not here yeah you know, exactly like, yeah I mean, yeah bugs bugs funny he's been around he, he's <laughs> you know he's he's cynical you know so he's crotch remarks really i mean yeah we can, exactly so we can relate to him um you know when you were saying um about animators sitting around saying why can't we break the rules and do it? I, I was trying to think of when it felt like that happened uh you know before uh pixar and, and um who framed roger rabbit that would have been the oh one. yeah that it uh, felt like you can't do this. This is great. <laughs> How can you be doing this? This is too totally. good. You know, you know, like it, it felt like the the lunatics were in charge of the asylum on that one. I love Roger Rabbit, and that's such a great example too of the, these movies that don't get made anymore. That for kind of no reason, and and that's what a little bit of what we're trying to do with this movie, like Back to the Future and and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and stuff. Those are like ostensibly movies for adults but if i was a kid and i loved roger rabbit you know like sure. 
Um, and it, you feel you kind of felt cool watching it. You're like, "Ooh, I'm getting away with something." What is that? Yeah. This baby seems horny or something. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange. Like, that's curious. I wonder what that's about. Um, you know, so um, uh, it's, it's, I'm sure I'll be uh, fired for that comment. I'm oh sure. yeah, no, no, there's snipers. <laughs> there's snipers. You you won't make it through the day. <laughs> but um um apologize to anyone i fed it um but yeah no i i really i really love those movies and i do feel like any movie where it feels like the the artists are having a ton of fun and and that that that, that you are feeling like you're getting away with something watching it were always my favorite movies growing up because it was just like what 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 is this and it's, it really pulls you in um because it's so anarchic yeah yeah and and you know if um i was thinking back to the rated art movies let's see because there was fritz the cat it was rated x i think or even yeah. uh and then heavy metal uh yeah and um there would have been um in more recent years like that marjane serapi um Persopolis, oh yeah um uh, persepolis persepolis and um like waiting for waltzing with Bashir, some some yeah. foreign films and stuff but still you know I, let I us not forget beowulf beowulf was that Robert Zemeckis? Yeah. Robert Zemeckis? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I am. I have forgot Beowulf. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, the uh, I, and I had weird feelings about Angelina Jolie in, which, in that movie. I don't sure. know how. I don't even know how to feel about that. So I'm just. Gonna, <laughs> I heard that she like wasn't okay with that. <laughs> Where they were like, I didn't know I was going to be naked in it. Right. <laughs> Well, she was there for the scene. <laughs> no, just never mind. But um, um, what, what there was an animator who I will remain unnamed who worked on Beowulf, and he was like, he did a scene. He did like one scene in Beowulf, and he tried to make the characters really emotive. And he was like, it was it was some line where the character was screaming, and he had his face like pinched like you would when you're screaming. And the, the, apparently, the the person that he was working for was like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. More lifeless. <laughs> more lifeless. <laughs> he literally said more lifeless. And I was wow. like, oh, that explains that explains that movie. <laughs> Polar Express did so well. Let's keep it let's, let's keep the cabbage that. patch. Let's keep the cabbage patch, kids. We're gonna <laughs> we live in the valley. Vacant eyes the movie. <laughs> oh my lord, that's the that's the worst thing. You know, it fascinates me. I I, I actually I thought once about writing a book about Jim Cameron and Zemeckis and their their decade long rivalry. Uh -huh. When Zemeckis made all his mistakes in public with six movies, you know, Polar Express and Beowulf yeah. and Christmas Carol, and, and Jim Cameron's like, no, no, not quite there yet. And he keeps turning the <laughs> dials on the Avatar, but you know, he's made Titanic, so he's in no rush. He's like, no, not yeah, that's quite there yet. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a heated one, but it was sure. it was it was the what what are they up to? Because they were both chasing yeah. the same thing. And from what I understand, um, you know, it, the breakthrough for Cameron, the big difference maker was that he went to see a Madonna concert, huh? And she had the microphone, you know, because she would has the high intensity dancing, uh, yeah. uh, and she's all over the place with the uh, the. Uh, the production and at that point uh, uh it was a fairly new innovation to have a headset mm -hmm. mic uh and that kept keeps the mic next to her so she doesn't have to carry a mic and so she doesn't have to be away from the mic uh and it's sort of an obvious technology but um with the the shooting uh in the volume 
they had the camera far away. That inspired them to put the a camera right here, to put a camera where the microphone would be on a headset so you get all that extra information. Mm, interesting. Because of the level of information in, in the human face to communicate. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's why those faces came alive in Avatar huh. in a way that the Zemeckis ones where the camera was across the room maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't quite match, you know? That's so interesting. I had no, I had no idea. I mean, it's, yeah. it's I mean, you know, because like, like in a way, it, it is, it, you know, those movies are like hard to watch because they live in the Uncanny Valley and stuff. But it's, yeah. it's also like, it, it's, I do think it's commendable that they are just out there on the edges of filmmaking, you know, and, and, and trying to do new things, even though, you know, stuff like, you know, high frame rates and, and that sort of thing sometimes don't end up panning out. It's like, I find it really admirable that these filmmakers who are sort of at the top of their game are like, let's try something crazy. Because I think, you know, especially like Robert Zemeckis, he's like, look, I won the award. I, I do popcorn movies that everyone loves. Like, <laughs> what else is there? You know? I do um, the volleyball. I go, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I, brought, I mean, every one of his movies has like a kind of a quirk thing. Like, you know, Castaway shot over in a real long period of time. Forrest Gump, yeah. let's bring back dead people. Uh, <laughs> Roger Rabbit, let's do the animation. It's just fascinating that he has so many kind of uh, uh, ways to uh, forms for his technology, I guess. Yeah, and I, th I, I do think those guys get bored because um, yeah. they're like, well, I've done all the normal stuff. Let's get wild, you know? <laughs> Jim Cameron, I've gone to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he built his own submarine, he, like 11 years. I I, he got mad at me once because I introduced him. He did me a favor. He came to this event I did. I uh -huh. did an anniversary screen of Terminator and he said he would cool. come. Sounds very nice. Uh, and then I repaid his kindness by introducing him. I said, in a town where people go to greater depths than anybody else, no one has gone lower than our next guest. He's in love with James Cameron. He comes out, he's like shaking his fist at me. He's like, seriously? I said, oh, I was talking about the trench. <laughs> That's uh, very funny. And then, he, and then he killed me. He's <laughs> I've heard he has a bad temper. <laughs> yeah. Um, with uh, you know, one of the choices too that animation has because of the humor aspect is to go topical, current, or to kind of go timeless. And, mm -hmm. and there's a range, obviously, there. But you know, like it's interesting to go back. I, I recently saw the first Shrek movie for the first time since I saw it probably when it came out, sure. and. I, there was like some references. I was like, "Oh, that's a joke about what is that?" A, oh, yeah, I forgot about that show. It's like Monica Lewinsky or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so specific to the time, and uh, and that is there discussions like that, or is, do you seek a mix, or how's it? Going? Oh I, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, it, it's so difficult. Like making a, a movie that has anything to do with technology or the internet or something. It, you're already like in a box you're like oh god how did i get this thing because because it's so because i always want anything that you make especially because these movies take so long you want it to be timeless obviously yeah but at the same time we were finding i was finding that i was adding in a lot of stuff like that i grew up with that people were like mike no one uses camcorders anymore and i'm like they're I'm like they use their phone and i'm like i guess you know it's because because in my head i was trying to make it timeless but but if you totally ignore technology too, you're screwed. 
Yeah, um, it's anachronistic. So we really, yeah, we really had to end up doing this balance because it's like that is how you know that's how people communicate with each other over the internet with like memes and stuff. And if you're not, if you ignore that, you're not doing a service to the character, and it won't feel contemporary. But if you don't, if but if you if you do it wrong, people will hate you for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. And like, you know, it's like, it's like, um, I remember there's one screening where we had this reference to a Vine video that I thought was really funny, where it's like, you know, it's, it's like someone just casually burns someone else, like, uh, like, you know, the, it, the one I saw was like an episode of the uh, cartoon show Arthur, and Arthur's uh -huh. like, where's the crackers? And his sister's like, find them yourself. And then all of a sudden, boom, like, um, shades come on her face the screen starts shaking there's flames on the screen it's like i am the one the one and it's like this very intense rap song so we i was i thought that was really funny so i tried to put it in the movie and like everyone laughed but all of the kids in the audience were like you got to cut that from the movie dude <laughs> like that's like two, that's like two years old um and and it was funny because we we ended up having to do things that everyone in the audience understood regardless of knowing a reference or not so I think that's how some of this stuff in the movie feels like a little older than maybe right now. But when we tried to do the very contemporary stuff, it was like the, the movie turned to ash. The second you insert the word Fortnite in a character's mouth, it's like you you it's like drinking from the goblet in Indiana Jones 3, you just turn to dust. <laughs> Don't look at it. Don't look at it. I'm 36 years old. <laughs> it's that's really interesting. So it's like you guys you stay super topical, timely with the uh, the threat and the, the peril, like the, the technology. I mean, yeah. all that stuff. Um, but then the references weren't. They, they, there was a little uh, kind of delayed, not delayed, but the, yeah. No, I, I mean they they were. I mean it was just it was just finding stuff that every single person in the audience could get. You know, because right. like if it's too modern, parents don't get it. And if it's too dated, kids are mad, you know? So right. like, you have to find some sort of balance. And, you know, it's not like we made the movie by committee or anything, but we did do a lot of test screenings and we, you know, we were, we were trying to get a laugh, you know, or we were trying to convey a story point or be emotional or whatever it was. And, and if we're missing, we would just keep retooling it until, until it felt like it was more on target, you know, and, and which is tough. Well, you know, like, um, I remember talking once to Seth Rogen about the way that he makes movies with you know, and, 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 and the number of times they'll screen it and just listening yeah. to the crowd and just trying every joke until they get the, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't track, even if the, the story's like, you know, like, it doesn't, <laughs> sorry, I don't think that makes sense, but it's yeah. okay. Like, you know, it's a new standard, but um, you guys don't go that far, right? As far as- I mean, it, we, we do go, Sort of. I mean, like the, those guys are a little bit kindred spirits in a way because, you know, we're trying with every moment. And that was a really cool thing about Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who came on as executive producers and were also like my heroes. So it, yeah. was, it was, they were like, can we executive produce the movie? And I was like, yeah, yeah, man, <laughs> that'd be fine. <laughs> um, uh, and nice so guys too. Super they're nice guys. wildly, like, shockingly nice and Decent, lived yeah. up to all of my like fairy tale dreams of what they would be you know it was, it was yeah. crazy yeah they could have lost a word yeah 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 um but um but um it, th th those guys are are even because i'm very like militant about the stuff but they're even more militant than i am about making sure that every single moment in the movie is 
either observational or original and surprising. Oh, and it's like every like line, like down, like every line in the movie has been, we have like kicked the tires on and tried 10 versions of, um, and tried to sort of say like, could this be funnier? Or could this be more surprising? Or could this be more emotional? You know, what's the truth of this moment? And, you know, we just ended up combing through the movie many, many times and sort of just turning the screws like one little notch at a time. And each one individually, you know, I remember some people who worked on the movie were like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're gonna drive yourself insane. Like the movie's good, just stop. Um, right, right. And, and it, was, it was wild because those little turns like add up when you do a hundred of them, you yeah. know? Um, and oftentimes you'll fuck it up or you're sorry. Um, but um, we, we you know, oftentimes you'll, you'll sort of, you know, you'll do something wrong, um, but, but you're able to, but you're able to set it back or you're like, okay, well that didn't work. The old thing was better. Let's put that yeah. in. That's, that's interesting. Um, it's, that's like good writing is rewriting. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the old saying and that's what you guys found. Um, but um, there's two things that struck me. There's so much interstitial stuff like, uh, yes. like, you know, and, and there's times when the, the screen felt like I was looking at a computer and then there was another time when you guys put us uh, in the car uh, kind of going out of control. I got a little car sick. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this movie's like, really, this is a, uh, it's, you're doing a lot of different things with the screen uh, in a lot of different ways uh, interacting. Uh, that's another balance, right? Uh, yeah. Do you well, find, it, how does that work with uh, your audience? Do, do you find that the younger folks, I sounded so old when I said that, the younger folks. <laughs> no, that's they, fine. Do they like this? Because, you know, I liked waltzing with Matilda myself. <laughs> uh, um, it's funny. We actually, that, that is an area, like, you know, in so many of this movies, so many, so much of this movie, we did sort of shockingly what we had set out to do or surpass what we set out to do. But one thing that I was really, that, that we weren't able to do just because I think through ex inexperience is I was really excited to make the movie, to shoot the movie like a documentary, like it, like like a Dogma '95, like Lars von Trier movie or something, which the studio was always like, "Don't say Lars von Trier." <laughs> I'm like, in meetings, just don't say that part. Um, Cloverfield? Say Can I say Cloverfield? Can yeah, I say yeah, Cloverfield? exactly, exactly. More Cloverfield, less you know, tragic, uh, horrible movie. Um, um, but but the um, but it was interesting because that was an area where our inexperience really messes up and we weren't able to be as expressive with the cameras we wanted to because like they had these like digital rigs where you could kind of like you know sort of like move the camera around like a real camera person and stuff but we we were just so behind that yeah. everyone was like we can't we can't do this like that would be cool we all agree but there's not enough times because we had this like philosophy where when we were filming the family allegedly the, the compositions were supposed to be more messed up, you know, and because the family's like not together. Dysfunctional. Um, yeah, so because the family's dysfunctional, like the screen is dysfunctional and the camera's a little bit more like out of control. And as the family comes together, the filmmaking becomes like tighter and it, it sort of goes from like a indie movie to a blockbuster by the end. Um, and we were only able to get a fraction of that stuff in because there is some stuff in the third act that is very like Mad Maxi in a way that I think is cool but um but it, it definitely is a balance because if you if you do 
you know, there's only so much new stuff you can throw at people at once <laughs> without yeah. them sort of rejecting it. It has to kind of be, okay, here's a balance of something that's familiar and bringing something new into it. And, and, and that I hopefully is what is sort of working about the movie. Yeah. And, you know, it, when you're saying that uh, you guys you know, sort of parsed it um, and went back and, and um, you know, tightened everything, um, it doesn't feel jam packed though, because you guys still observe the, you know, the, the moments where you let things hit, you kind of have yeah. that reaction, and it doesn't feel like a, a relentless, uh, you know, because it's emotional too, you know, because that's how it holds on to the emotion. Because otherwise, it's just become, you know, uh, without levels and be flat. Yes, and there, there, there were moments in the because the movie always had those like emotional moments, and there were times when either we'd have to, you know, the, the studio would be like, "This thing's too long, cut it down." And we would end up shaving things down and we always found, that's why the movie's like a little longer than maybe it should be. Um, because when you cut down those emotional scenes, it didn't feel like anything anymore. You were like, it just felt like, yeah, it's a story point anyway. Yeah, more wackiness. And and unless you really take the time to like have the audit, have the, you know, you see the character looking at her dad and sort of, you know, you see the character's thought process and you know she sort of like brushes her hair behind her ear and is thinking like those are the moments where you know the audience is leaning in more than any crazy joke we have you know because because the characters were were treating the characters emotions like they're important and when whenever we didn't do that the, the audience was like you know throwing chairs at us and stuff. <laughs> wow. you know or we were or we just hated it ourselves where it's like i don't care anymore um because, you know, because in those pauses and, and, and in that sort of kind of um, more, uh, I guess, uh, sensitive filmmaking from all mm -hmm. levels, from the music department and everyone, if, you, if you're not really playing those emotions for real, it, 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 the movie just feels false and, and yeah. like, why would you even watch it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. Well, I'd watch it for the Furbies. I mean, clearly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, yeah, I mean, people just fast forward to the Furbies and then bounce. Yeah, I, you know, just 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 give me a whole bunch of deleted Furby scenes. Um, <laughs> we got them. What about uh, if you you know Roger Rabbit is such a such an endearing moment? Uh, if if you had a chance to go back to some of the uh, obscure or older animation that you liked. Oh, that you were talking about what's uh what are some of the give me some of the things that you would love to see on the screen again maybe that you haven't seen in a long time just for fun um i mean i would just i mean they're doing it now which is nice but it's like i would just love to see shorts you know i love those like seven minute shorts like put one of those in front of every movie um just because it gives people a chance to experiment and try new things and and, and you know sort of like fail on a on a small scale and maybe learn you know something or come up with some brand new yeah. amazing uh, and the rhythm's different right like like yeah. the jackalope one that pixar did i'm like this is perfect like because of the yes the tone and the and just the, it wouldn't work if it was longer you know yeah and, and it's like and it's like and it's and it's a new you you can very quickly give newcomers like with new voices like i love those like pixar spark shorts where it's like you know where it's it's like all these stories that you would never hear because these people haven't been working at Pixar for 40 years or whatever, you know, um, and, and they're, they're able to tell their stories and they're more, you know, they're, they're, they're just really fresh. Um, and so, so that on one end, and then just like specifically like, uh, you know, like I love the Warner Brothers characters. So anything with them, 
anything that has like the Fleischer Brothersy weirdness to it, like those, so like some of those are like the best pieces of surreal art I've ever seen in my life. Where it's like, don't know what's happening. You're having a blast. <laughs> don't know whether it's like, is this like a, a, a satanic message or the most joyful thing I've ever seen? I'm not sure, but I'm having a good time watching it. St. James uh, Infirmary. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like Ab Calloway, Roman Soaps. You know, like I yeah. love that stuff, man. Why is she dead in an ice cube? In <laughs> How is how is Cab Calloway doing the moonwalk in nineteen whatever? Like it's very there's a lot have, going on. Have you seen? There's one called Bimbo's Initiation. Um, oh yeah, and it's like it just ends. It's like it's like this crazy cult thing, <laughs> yeah. and it just ends with Betty Boop and this little dog just slapping each other on the butt and cheering and screaming, and you're like, this is the wildest thing I've ever seen. In my life. It is so. It makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel like something like I feel like did Fatty Arbuckle produce this? Like what is going on? <laughs> there was a gas leak in the studio, but it's, yeah. it's so inspired in its in its strangeness. Like I just can't look away from it. So, Opium. so yeah, maybe, it's maybe, Hollywood. Maybe a Bimbo's Initiation remake. <laughs> it's a great name for a, a punk band too. I never yes. really thought about it. Because <laughs> people band. would think it was something totally different. Yes, exactly. Something totally different. <laughs> and if and another fun one, if you were if you were going to do a musical uh, with uh, either one of the, the beloved uh, Warner Brothers characters or a superhero or something like that. What would a, what would a fun one be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, yeah. it would have been honestly. I loved Ant Man as a kid. It would have been Ant Man. Um, you know, because uh, it was. I really identified with him because I'm like, he's like the one that nobody thinks about. He could grow because, like, if you grow really small, you you basically are also invincible. Invisible. You know, like you have all this extra powers. You can. You're strong, but you're small. Um, so I would say Ant-Man um, and or uh, <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn, maybe. <laughs> I love Foghorn Leghorn. I think it's funny. I say, I say, I say, I say, I like him too. He's fantastic. I like he's, how uh, he slaps people while he's talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention, boy. He's a smart kid, but he doesn't know a word you say. <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? It, it? I like Foghorn Leghorn. That's a good call. That's a very good call. Um, <laughs> what's um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's good. I like it. Uh, and what are you working on anything now? Uh, that you can um, tell us about? I sort of, I my theory was that I would never make anything again because this is so hard. <laughs> but you know, that. everyone was like, "Oh, it's like childbirth," you know, because it really is like now that the movie is into the world, it's so it's so gratifying because it felt you just feel like a crazy person working for six years on something that no one sees, um, yeah. and you're like, "Is this even real?" Um, but now, but I do. It's it's funny that you mentioned sort of Roger Rabbit and adult stuff. Is like I would love to do something that is. Um, that is not necessarily like R-rated, hard, you know, Fritz the Cat or something, but right. but is that is sort of more for adults, but anyone can watch. You know, I I really love anything that's sort of like kind of universal, um, and you could watch like with your family or alone, or your grandma could watch it, or your cat could watch it, or whatever. Right. Um. So so I've got a I've got a, a couple movie ideas and a couple TV show ideas and stuff, and um i'm really excited because like you said it's sort of it's this is i do feel like we are in some sort of like golden age of opportunity for animation yeah. and i'd love to like just dive headfirst into it and see yeah see what, see what's around there absolutely and and this is a great start man i mean it's uh you know it's it's really really strong i really yeah, enjoyed thanks. it quite a lot um and uh i'm sure it's like childbirth but uh 
you know, you, you get the epidural at the end. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. you know, it's, you know, you know, just, just hang in there. It'll be fine. The epidural uh, is nice comments from Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Epidural productions. That would be fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be very, very funny. Um, when you were talking about Ant-Man, the first thing that popped in my head is if you ever do that, you should call it uh, Life's No Picnic. Ooh, I love it. He's, he's fighting ants. <laughs> you know, he, he came before Spider-Man, too. You know, he was introduced before Spider-Man. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. You know, like, if you look at a list of the introduction of the Marvel characters, I want to say it goes, like, Groot, Nick Fury, Fantastic oh, Four, So Ant was Man. Groot like a Tales of Suspense kind of, kind of, you know, like... Uh-huh. Yeah, Journey, uh, it was uh, Tales to Astonish, I think. Got it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I I love those comics. Those like weird Kirby and 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 Lee like monster yeah. comics. Like fame, those fame, were like they survived the grim horror of Glob. You know, <laughs> and, and it's so funny because it's like it, every panel, it's like you know Glob is coming, and then it's like suddenly Glob came, and then he's like it's Glob. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Every panel they say the same thing three times. <laughs> But I still love it. It's well, like, that's the Marvel process because like Kirby would draw the, they would talk on the phone and they would talk about the plot is and then Kirby would sit down. I don't know if you know his process, but he'd start in the middle. Oh, weird. I didn't know that. Middle page and go <laughs> to the front and then do the splash and then go and do the middle to the back. Weird. Okay. So he, he, <laughs> he read it. I mean, he drew it the way I write it, which is weird. Um, yeah. And then, but Stan would get this, balloons and it wasn't always like what they talked about so he had to find something that's where it came like like suddenly spider-man's was like hello i'm your friendly neighborhood spider-man just talking right here because i don't know what else to do <laughs> so there was no coordination There's space for a word bubble but i have nothing to say a lot and then other times that like when like you're waiting for an explanation everybody's like huh because <laughs> there's only one little one little box you know like they just were off but i mean kirby was drawing like nine things a month so like that's the only way they could do it uh, that reminds me of how lots of shakespeare plays have turned out where it's like like you said it's like someone i'm going to stab him oh i am stabbed he stabs him exactly. um in stage direction stabs i can tell you i can tell you the best one ever because uh, yeah I, and I think this was, well, was Iron Man Shakespeare? No. Uh, there was a, the Iron Man cartoons in the 60s, not Shakespeare, uh-huh. but it was, it was almost. Uh, and they had the guy that played uh, the Dean on um, Animal House. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, no, no, Dean Wormer. And he's the voice of Iron Man, if you go back uh-huh. and watch the old ones. And he's, he's flying along. And he goes, wait, up there, what is it? <laughs> like and his arm actually like <laughs> like a paper doll it moves only from the elbow down the rest of his remains immobile he goes a beam of light a ray coming right at me i better get out of the way <laughs> here comes a beam of light i better get out of the way uh is my all-time favorite monologuing that's amazing like you would I, have should, I should work that into my general vocabulary <laughs> so well i think it's uh it's something we should all do i think it's something we should all do well it's uh it's been great to talk to you man it's uh it was, it's an awful fun movie and uh it sounds like you're in the right place at the right time so I, I really can't wait to see what you do next no man it was it was a it was a it was a treat uh, i i i loved it man i love um 
uh, I'm excited to I'm excited to listen to it. I'm also excited to dig into the whole podcast. This seems fun. Well, you know, this is the first one we haven't. Really <laughs> Starting strong. Yeah, uh, the guy heard of. <laughs> all the other stuff was just just uh, you know just Furby, um, you know, smoke and mirrors. But uh, <laughs> but we'd love to have you back. Maybe you know, I was thinking of putting together a show where we had like two or three people because I've asked that musical question a couple times, uh-huh. and having people come back and maybe. Uh, we could each talk sure. about. Hey man, I'll I'll, I'll write I'll write the, like a, you know Ant Man's uh, I want song. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be terrific. Yeah, you know? mountain out of a lot of fun. Yeah, well, terrific. Well, uh, best of luck to you, and uh, if uh, we'll tell all our listeners to uh, check it out, and we'll link to it, and awesome. uh, we'll see you down the line. Thank you so much. It was awesome. All right, take care. All right. So thanks for tuning into Mindspace. You just heard Jeff Boucher in conversation with Mike Rianda talking about Rianda's new film, The Mitchells versus the Machines. And one of my favorite parts of this movie is the Mitchells family pet. It's a gelatinous pug named Munchie, um, which Jeff, you were just talking about your own dog and yeah. its, its unique name. Yeah, uh, that would be Charlie Snickerdoodles. Uh, that's his full formal name. Uh, he's a rescue from Santa Ana, California. Uh, he grew up on the tough streets of Santa Ana. Actually, so we probably get Carlito. Aww. He's wonderful. What, and he, what he's kind a, is, is he? He's a, he is a, a King Charles uh, Cavalier. Um, and uh, we think, you know, uh, and he's about 11. He's very eccentric and very, he's very fastidious and very, uh, he doesn't, he, he doesn't really like people to mess with his stuff too much. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's my, you know, he's my first pet really. Well, I had, I, I, I did have a bird for like a week when I was a child, but it flew away to live on a farm. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. His name was Blue Boy. That happened and, to my fish too, oddly enough. They also really? flew away. <laughs> <laughs> live at a um a fish farm yeah yeah exactly a trout farm um yeah i had a, a bird named blue boy uh, and he was yellow uh which probably was it probably says a lot about my uh, me as a kid because i picked the name before we went to the store but they didn't have a blue bird but like i was pretty stubborn so like we had a yellow bird named blue boy so maybe he just left because of that. I'm sure. I'm sure he had his his reasons. <laughs> uh, yeah. As you've spent a career interviewing creatives and celebrities and all sorts of people, have you? What sorts of pets come to your mind as the most eccentric pets you've met? Oh, that's fun. Um, well, you know, James Gunn has, you know, uh, he has like a, a lot of critters, you, uh, you know, and he, he, he likes, he like has like a, uh, I think it's a ferret, uh, if I remember right. Uh, so he had a ferret that was, uh, was uh, charismatic, a charismatic ferret, if I, if I recall. Um, I always think of Michael Bay's dogs. Michael Bay uh, has his production company in, in uh, Santa Monica. Uh, has his really big dogs like um, like I, I'm not even sure I'm not a uh, you know this is like I said my first experience as a pet owner I'm a co-pet owner uh, 
now, but uh, I don't know that much about Thomas. But uh, yes, those really, really huge ones. They look like Marmaduke. So like like a Great Dane? I think so. I think they're Great Danes, but I could be wrong about that. They could be Tauntauns or something else. I'm not hmm. really sure. But uh, they have free reign in the office uh, and uh, uh, have a very sort of regal disposition. So uh, I, I think of them quite a lot uh, if I think about the famous pets that I've met. I've met people that, I've interviewed people that had like small dogs with them as accessories. That was a big thing for a little while uh, with like pop stars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then Chewbacca, but he's not really a pet. Mm-hmm. No, I I always like the the theory that dogs reflect their owners. Like if you like that scene in um, what is it, the Hundred One Dalmatians, where you see the animated kind of couples with their dogs walking down the street and they look the same yeah um i think that's definitely true of 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 mitchell's where this this pug is so bizarre um and it's it's explicitly connected to their weirdness at multiple times in the screenplay but um i i i I feel like that that it's definitely true with our dog and our our family dogs (laughs) Yeah. that we've we are also a, our neighborhood's kind of eccentric family and we also <laughs> have the most eccentric dogs oh that's so. fun they're like spirit animals you know like they're the, they represent the uh the house and the uh, and the family and the, in the neighborhood um yeah i mean i think it's uh obviously the native american tradition has its own like nuances and, and sure. requirements for a spirit guide and i think i think they tend to pick you but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um uh mascots probably i don't know mascots i'm not sure if if our yeah. dog is our mascot or, or if we are his entourage so yeah that is interesting isn't it yeah do, do you meet in the middle uh this is the persona of uh, uh, you know, a combination of the two, or is there? Is there? That's interesting. Yeah, you, we have a packed day you, every year. How we did have you meet? Day that we celebrate. Oh, cool! Congrats. Yeah, because because we don't know his birthday per se, oh, but we yeah. know the day that Serena uh, and uh, who uh, re- uh, rescued Charlie from the uh, from the pound and uh, on his last day there. Uh, oh. And uh, and then they they were a pack for about four years, and now I joined the pack. So oh, now we've I been was, a pack like another five five years. So yeah, I was I was gonna ask you how you met Charlie Snickerdoodles. So yeah, uh, and, what well, was I your first to encounter? <laughs> it was nerve nerve wracking because uh, I had to sort of audition. You know, like um, uh, uh, previous suitors uh, had had been turned away by Charlie uh, as deemed it inappropriate for uh, Serena. Apparently, like uh, he he peed on. Uh, uh, like one of the guys that came to take her out one time, which I think is like, <laughs> is fantastic. I mean, but when you hear that, it does sort of set you up with some apprehension. Um, I, I, I am very happy to report that I was an immediate hit with Charlie, uh, despite not being a uh, former pet owner myself, you know. Um, I think maybe the fact that I sort of soaked my socks in gravy all night probably helps. Uh, maybe the uh, maybe the, the hamburger that I had smeared on the heel of my shoes maybe helps a little. No, I'm just sure. Uh, he, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he I'll, I'll tell you, he, he, his disposition around me, um, I, 
at that time I would have said he really likes me. But now looking back, I realize because I'm so accustomed to him now, and, and we've come so far as uh, as being pack mates, uh, how how nervous he was around me. And it makes me sad now when I think about it because he, he used to shake a lot, and like because uh-huh. you know I was kind yeah. of treading into his territory, and he didn't know what to make of me. And I think he had had a rough time, especially with uh, men. He, he kind of the male uh, voice mm-hmm. really. Uh, uh, sets him on edge, but not so much anymore. He's, he's gained a lot of confidence and he feels a little a lot more secure. He doesn't seem nearly as anxious as when I met him. So that's actually something I take a lot of pride in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, I know that you, you have techniques when you interview people um, of gaining their confidence and approaching them. Do you... I'm trying to draw a connection between that and your approach to Charlie Snickerdoodles. Do you have an approach you take for animals, whether it's the ones in your own life or the ones that you encounter on the job oh, or on the street, just yeah. just meeting meeting pets? Uh, well, I've learned just through getting to know him and just kind of learning more about the uh, the the pack process that um, you know just to chart to. If, I, if I'm anxious or, or upset, it's going to affect him. Like he, he's like a, a mood ring that <laughs> tells the world how I'm feeling, even if I'm not. Like so, I, I have to. He, he, um, the thing I've learned is to just try to be centered and and um, try to make sure that um, I'm not moving too fast or 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 confusing to him because you know mm-hmm. it's, I think we're a mystery to them so much, and then they respond. In different ways to that mystery and his way was with fear and stuff like that and you know it just uh, uh so yeah it's 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 almost with the humans i have this sort of some some tricks of the trade because you have this like condensed period of time to try to connect with somebody and somebody usually that's been interviewed a lot and they don't necessarily have a lot more to give they think so you know uh there's techniques there but with with pets, uh, it's almost the opposite. I have to kind of get away from any kind of artifice and just kind of be a little more zen than maybe uh, is my mm-hmm. natural disposition. You know, and so it's been good for me, and it makes me walk a lot. I like walking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good for no, my back. Yeah, I think that pets are extremely attuned to humans non-verbally in ways that even we don't understand. For example, my dog can tell when we as a family are going to get in the car and go somewhere because yeah. that's that's his favorite thing to do is a road trip so we can have planned it like weeks before so when it happens like we're not even discussing it but he he picks up or and we haven't even started packing imagine and he can he wow. can pick up based on the tones of our voice and the inflections that we're using and maybe the way that we're starting to move, he can tell that something's going on. It's really incredible. Interesting. Um, I, yeah. I think, yeah. And yeah, I think that they can just pick up on so many minute, almost unobservable things about us. That Yeah. Yeah. There's all these cues that we have that, or cues that they sense that I think that we don't even intend or, uh, uh, comprehend so yeah i think you're right i think you're absolutely right because they're, they're they're so um in touch with instinct and with mm-hmm. uh you know in a funny way honesty you know like because there is no artifice you know everything is from the heart with that like 
you know, that when, when he goes crazy because someone's outside, uh, it took me a while to realize like, oh no, he thinks he's, this is a good day to die. Like he thinks this is it. And he's, he's willing to put it all on the line. And, and this is, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's not necessarily the reality of the situation as I perceive it, but it's the reality he perceives. And um, you kind of have to respect that. There's like a lot of honesty there, like in a lot of uh, courage and, and uh, uh, high stakes, you know, like, I, I, yeah, it's authentic. So that's why I like, mm-hmm. I like, I like, um, well, I don't, I don't know if I like cats, but I like dogs. I have, I've had mixed luck with cats because all those lessons I learned don't make any sense with cats, but like, uh, they're just different. Or so far, my experience, I haven't, I haven't encountered, I haven't got my uh, cat radar connected yet. I think that the people I know who live with cats and have had their cats for a long time, like it's, it's of a different character than, than the dogs because they're different actors. But I think, I think they've gotten attuned to their cats. Uh, I've got a friend that I zoom um, intermittently, but he's had this cat for years. And so he can't observe how comfortable this timid cat has gotten. But every zoom call, I'm like, your cat is just more and more, Eddie using on top of you with every call. So That's um, interesting. I do think that they get to, to know their people too. They have different priorities than dogs, but. I think so. What was it um, T.S. Eliot said about cats? Uh, uh, they used to be gods and they remember. Like uh, huh? the, the, in ancient times they were gods and, and they remember, which. Uh, it might be, yeah. Just sums up that sort of, uh, the, um, yeah i feel like lots of i feel like lots of cultures have their own equivalent of the you know cats look down but dogs look up type thing which yeah i don't know i don't think it's always true i've met some very pretentious dogs but that's true that's true i just love that line i just like how clever it is yeah and and i think all sorts of domestic animals like i was just when we were talking about subconscious behavioral clues i was thinking of and i had to google it because i forgot the horse's name but it was a horse named clever hans that could do quote unquote arithmetic um that they would you know ask the horse like you know what's seven plus three and the horse would take its hoof and go tap 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 but i think eventually they figured out the horse was not actually computing and they had to put all sorts of controls on it but that the horse like you know so say you ask what seven plus three it could observe like when it got to nine and the person's you could see like no matter how kind of stoic the 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 questioner tried to be it could see that it was getting close based on like the, the oh. registration that went on in your eyes and the kind of maybe your hands twitch a little, the horse could be like, oh, oh, okay, the next one, wow. pet. And then the person would be like, wow. And the horse was like, oh, yes, got, got, got right, right number that's, of taps. That's great. So he's, it's like a poker, like, uh, but in a different way. They're not counting cards. They're, they're just picking up tells. Yeah, I mean, obviously, even if it wasn't doing arithmetic, an extremely yeah. smart horse and an extremely observant animal. So that is, that is fascinating. Yeah, I, uh, it, it, I I think it's also just interesting. We should find someone that knows a lot about the history. I actually know somebody that actually knows a lot about the history of dog films and TV. 
Um, some of the stories are fantastic. Like if you ever go back to the uh, the, the first Rin Tin Tin and, and the story of Rin Tin Tin, like in real life, you know, like uh, as a war hero and like came back and they, you know, became a major movie star with like a series of films and stuff. I think that's sort of interesting to me that that, that whole part of our culture is gone because there was a lot of famous dogs. I mean, Lassie was a really famous dog for a long time and it was, mm -hmm. you know, numerous, uh, numerous, numerous canine actors in the role of Lassie. But, and then Benji, you know, we've always had, not always, but often had these very big kind of famous uh, Hollywood pooches. And now we don't really have that anymore. Uh, I don't know. We have or, the they, they don't have their own franchises. They're not, uh, yeah. they, it's like they're all famous. It's like Warhol, you know, it's like every dog's going to be famous for 15 minutes now. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there are internet dogs that everybody is in love That's with. True. <laughs> so. That's true. That's true. Um, and I know that, that they, tend, I don't know, they tend to swing, they tend to leverage their fame more into merchandise than they do into acting now. Yeah, that's true. Wait, uh, but actually, I think that the dog in Mitchell's versus the machines was voiced by a, a famous internet dog. You see, well, there you go. So the dog was a voice actor, not a... <laughs> that's, I see, that's a, it's a, that's a subtle distinction. It's like Here, Elvis, it you know, up. like it's, it's a, he's always Elvis in the movie, but sometimes he's Elvis as like a car racer. Sometimes Elvis is a boxer. This dog is, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yes, Manchi in Mitchell's is voiced by Doug the Pug. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I think we should all be named after our, our, our breed. It's interesting. Oh, Doug's cute. I'm looking at it. <laughs> See, major motion picture. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel bad because this is supposed to be the heavy metal podcast. So maybe we should talk about famous comic and and. Well, there are some really famous comics. Pets, Here we know? could. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of boy and his dog ranking. Harlan Harlan Ellison's dog. There now it's a heavy metal podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, We're gonna, we talked about George Lucas's dog that time, the one that became. Um, or named Indiana that inspired mm -hmm. Chewbacca. That's got to be like real life heroic Hall of Fame kind of pet. Yeah. When you read about, because Harlan Ellison writes about the dog that inspired Boy and his dog. Um, its name was um, Abu, like the, the monkey in the Aladdin movies. Um, and he, he writes about Abu in Deathbird, which is which incorporates a personal essay, and it's like the try not to weep challenge. Oh no! Uh, it's it's yeah, it's yeah. it's tough because I mean everybody with a with a pet I think has to come to terms with the eventuality of um, ending their time with the pet and their pets flying back off to the farm or the. <laughs> whatever and it's i think it makes you love them more so yeah yeah and it, there's there's valuable uh what they say to be human is to suffer and, and especially unfortunately for young people i think having pets is one of the ways that they they learn about you know kind of what life uh what you know what life is and what what happens you know so mm -hmm. get i guess it's a way for them to teach us that too in a way but uh you know in fictional pets 
in comics, there's been, you know, uh, Superman's got a whole like zoo, you know, because like he are affiliated with him because there's there's Crypto the super dog, right? You know, he's the white mm-hmm. dog and he's got the red cape and he thinks and he can read his thoughts and he's quite bright and the dog of steel, in fact. And we find out that he was sent to Earth by Jarrell before baby Kal-El. They had a practice rocket with the family pet. So they put the family pet in just to torture Kal-El and they launched that. They took the time while the planets, you know, about to blow up to, oh, okay, looks, that looks good. Sorry. See pooch. Okay. Now for you, baby. And then send Cal out and they both ended up in the same place, but Superboy got here years before. Who knows? It's kind of complicated. But then there's streaky, the super cat. Now, I don't know if you've heard about streaky, the super cat. Now streaky uh, has a cape uh, and kind of a Harry Potter, like lightning bolt kind of marking, you know, or, and this is in the sixties that streaky showed up. Um, but then, uh, there's also, uh, Comet, the super horse, big white horse with a red cape. And it, he used to be a centaur, right? So that's a half man, half horse, right? So he, mm-hmm. he lived in another magical dimension and he's a centaur and he meets Supergirl and Supergirl thinks he's cute and they're, they're flirty and, and, um, you know, wow. Okay. And then a witch turns him into a full horse at which point she adopts him and begins riding him. That's um, wild. <laughs> yeah. It's the 60s. That's 1960s Superman card comics. Oh no, well, I'll take care of you, Comet. So Comet. I mean, Superboard. I guess that's I guess that's what I would do if that happened to me, but uh, I mean, because this person I was fond of i mean who else is going to take care of them but like but they're also a super horse i don't know if they need taken care of i mean they fly and they can eat anything they want and, and he's got yeah. the brain of he's sentient he's still the guy inside he's just now he's a horse and he, he can't yeah you know. i know that sucks it's a lot that's like lots of the um characters in ovid metamorphoses they're like tormented by being transformed into animals i think the one girl who zeus transforms her into a cow and her name is io and it's like she goes back to her family who of course are cattle herders and they're like why is this cow acting so odd and she has to like write her name with like a hoof in the ground and it's like Wow. It's you know, it's just like every and then everyone starts bawling. They're like, Ayo. Well, at least her name was easy to spell. That's what? good. At least her name yeah, was easy to is, spell. Yeah. You know, because if yeah. it had been like, you know, Copernicus or something, like I don't know why it would be named Copernicus, that would take a while to hoof. Yeah. It's also, yeah, I mean, it's a good name to have with your lamenting family because it's like the Greek kind of like um I'm not sure what you'd call it, but it's like a it's like a call that you make during chants and stuff um, during states of heightened emotion. Like, oh, it's like, you know, I oh, oh. Uh. <laughs> it's like a yeah. OK, and, so, yeah, in, in, I, invocation, I was, like a inc- invocation of some kind. Yeah, like a like a just a vocal expression of emotion uh, that I can see. be you know you can use like it when you're Zeus. happy or like exalted superman, yeah. yeah superman says great krypton or something like that yeah yeah so io the first um super horse or super cow 
<laughs> well, you know, there's also, by the way, just to finish up with the super, there's more. There's, there's Beppo the super monkey. And now I know you think I'm just, at this point, just just pulling your leg, right? But I'm, no. I'm serious. This is a real thing. Mm-hmm. He's a super monkey. He's from Krypton. He was also launched in a rocket by Jarrell as a test before. So they, they, he's building these little rockets. Okay, let's try the monkey. That's worked out. That worked good. Let's try the dog. Okay, send the dog up. The kid's balling at this point. Then they put the kid in, and they all end up in Smallville, Kansas, on the other side of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, like what do the it, does every organism on Krypton have like a superpower? Is that why? No, no, none of them. No, okay. well, you know, it's changed actually. Because when they first introduced Superman, like so, like in 1938, when they, and uh, he was first introduced, yeah, uh, it was presented that he was from a planet of Superman. So, like, there's this planet mm-hmm. where people are so evolved and smart, they know how to fly just because they're smart. You know, like yeah. if you were smart, you could fly too. That's what the lesson of DC Comics was. Like, you're just smarter. Um, and, um, but then they they changed that over the years, and the, you know the origin changed many times um, in nuance. But the way that it became the most popular version of it is is that because of Earth's yellow sun and because of its gravity, Superman, who's from a red sun planet, uh, is invested with great powers by his mere presence here. Which which means that anybody from his planet would have these powers, including any any uh, potentially any creature. Uh, beyond just the humanoids. Okay, cool. So it, it's less like, it's less that these organisms from Krypton have powers and it's, it's more like they just have their inhibitions removed. Yeah, like they are, they are supersized here. Um, so if we went there, conversely, we probably would just not, we would just collapse onto the planet surface and just be mm-hmm. uh, weak. And um, they actually... Um, probably uh, Siegel and Schuster, uh, the creators of Superman, two kids from Cleveland, um, uh, they were fans of uh, um, John Carter, which had come out like 1912. Um, the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, adventure hero was magazine pulps and then in books. But mm-hmm. his, uh, his power, he was a Civil War soldier who, who somehow mysteriously ends up on Mars and after going through a transporting cave uh, and when he lands on Mars, he can jump great distances. And so in a sense, he could leap tall buildings in a single bound. So like when Superman was first introduced, mm-hmm. he didn't fly. He just jumped. He, he leaped tall buildings in a single bound. He, he landed feet first. It wasn't until they had the cartoon with the Fleischer brothers. They had him lean down vertical and put his hands out flat. And by many people's estimation, he became the first fictional character in Western civilization who flies horizontal, uh, posture like like he's laying down without the assistance of wings before that mostly people levitated mm-hmm. so they'd just be standing in the air or yeah. they, they had wings um or they ran in the air but no one had just kind of like missiled it no one had just mm-hmm. like leaned over and like i'm a torpedo until superman because you like think like how is there something coming out of his feet is it like you know how is it pushing him you know it, it, it it's a curious thing because before that there was flying carpets and and wings, but not a lot of uh, a lot of uh, human projectiling. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of abilities do the animals have on Earth? Do they with Kryptonian us- animals? Yeah, they, like Crypto and Beppo. So, this would not apply to Comet. 
the super horse because he's a magical creature from another dimension. He's just sort of okay. grandfathered into the super man. He's got a red cape. He hangs out with Supergirl. The gossip pages are, you know, they're going to write what they're going to write. But uh, the Kryptonian creatures have the same as Superman. So they're they're invulnerable. They have heat vision of a sort, uh, super breath, which means they could blow like a hurricane. They, heat I vision, more just, like more like treat vision. <laughs> it's more like what? Treat vision. Absolutely. Oh, you can for tell the where the nummies are. That's right. Well, just think if, if, if crypto... Like try holding that leash. Like if if he sees a cat or a cargo, you know. Like I mean, you're going you're going for a flight. They're actually working on a movie, um, an animated Super Pets movie that unite all the DC or many of the DC Super Pets into one animated extravaganza. So you would have Ace the Bat Hound, Beppo the Super Monkey, Streaky the Super Cat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, there was DC Comics in the '50s, late '50s and early '60s. They just loved stunt kind of stuff like there, there was a lot of gorillas for instance in the comics like batman would be fighting a gorilla the gorilla takes over the town there's a super gorilla they found that anything was better with gorillas I'm, i mean like they could not get enough gorillas all about the gorillas my favorite one is there's a cover of batman uh where batman is he's holding above his head and he's straining there's a giant uh as you might guess gorilla and if he drops this gorilla uh, there's a there's a big bomb attached to the gorilla, and Robin's running up. He's very very upset. He's like, "Don't drop that gorilla; it'll destroy us all." <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the the gorilla bomb that like threatened Gotham City. I, I'm probably mangling the, the this a little bit. This is from my memory, but but essentially, it was if they had a gorilla, it couldn't go wrong uh, for DC Comics. But that was my favorite. Like, and, he, and you see Batman; it's just just a, a study of focused determination to save Gotham from this exploding simian. Okay. I don't think, I don't think you're, you're mangling anything at all. In fact, I think that all of comics and all of entertainment since that era has, has been a adulteration of the pure distillation of human versus gorilla. It really is. Especially playing with the apes. I, I would, I would kill for a return to that age. It was, a, it was a simpler time. Okay, oh, you know, I found that copy of Detective Comics. Now, I just looked it up. I'd like to see how close I was to uh, what he actually says. And Batman, oh, that's worth a lot of money. I got one of those, too, if you ever need one. It's from 1965. Uh, hold that gorilla, Batman. The instant he touches the grip... The instant he touches the ground, the bombs strapped to his body will blow up Gotham City. It's pretty close. And Batman, again, focus of determination. I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. <laughs> That's it. It's a classic. Wow. I admire Robin's clarity of, of dic diction. In yeah. these circumstances, it's, it's very That's succinct. what I strive for: clear copy all the time, even during speech. Yeah, you don't want to monkey around. Yeah. <laughs> so we should do a ranking sometime. We should have a, a show on just like uh, uh, ranking the pets. Like we could have like a we could have a committee. We could have some of our former guests come back and have like a, a NFL draft or something where we draft. Like, okay, you're on the clock. What what fictional pet do you want? You know, um, and see who comes up with the best ones. I think that would be a, 
a total waste of time that I would really like. Not a, not a waste of time. Everybody loves animals. My favorite you know, superhero uh, is Squirrel Girl. Oh, yeah. That's, Love squirrels. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with Squirrel Girl. Uh, and I like the Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of cool pets coming from that direction. You know, Dino Mutt was a big deal to me as a kid. Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt, he's a robot dog. Doctor Who, canine, awesome. Canine, robot dog. But, you know, uh, I think dogs should have superpowers and, and secret identities. I think that would be a lot of fun. If, if Charlie Snickerdoodles was, had a secret identity, if he was a superhero, I think that he would be Professor X, like from the X-Men. Oh, why? Because, you know, he, he's, he's kind of like, he's taking it all in. He's very bright. He has a um, sort of a, a pottery barn aesthetic in his home in uh, upstate New York. That, you know, that, that he has the mm -hmm. same sensibilities as, as Professor X. He's educated like Professor probably would wear turtlenecks given the opportunity. Yeah, I think Professor X is where I, that's Charlie <laughs> Snickerdoodles. That's great. What, what about your pet? What about Coco? Oh, I, I think he'd be uh, Bunny Wigglesworth from Zorro the Gay Blade. <laughs> well, there you have it. You know, I can see that you've already thought about this. Like that was a pretty quick, pretty, pretty, pretty quick determination. No? Um, no, he's just, he's just goofy and hyper, so, and flamboyant, so. Always the center of attention. Always fantabulous. It's fun. I wonder, you know, for next week, maybe we can come back to this. I think I'd like to find out who do you think was the first famous pet, like in American culture, like in, in the United States. America. Like that'd be kind of fun to go back and find out, like, uh, you know, if and some of I, you know, some famous animals like Teddy uh, Roosevelt got his name from the bear he rescued that was chained to a tree that someone said we well, could chain this bear so you could shoot it and he's like what is wrong with you people and he he because uh, they thought as a hunter he would enjoy that he he was cradling the bear and someone took a photo and it became like a national uh, you know kind of sensation and led to the invention of the teddy bear which I yeah. always liked that story you know I thought that was really kind of cool and sweet but I wonder who the, the first famous pet was Babe, the blue ox. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. In, well, that's. Uh, if, I mean, I'm sure that there's from you know indigenous folklore. I'm sure there's right. stuff that dates from before, you know, for sure the arrival of settlers. But I also wonder if like the dynamic of pethood has changed. I mean, because obviously there's a completely different mindset with Europeans. Like we own this little critter. It is part of our household and it does what we tell it and we give it treats and we support it like yeah. a dependent. And whereas I think, you know, I'm depending on which nation you're from, there's probably, you know, a different mindset <laughs> from before the colonization. So sure. Yeah, no, you're right. I, there's one, uh, you know, presidential pets are kind of interesting that um, there was one uh, Andrew Jackson. You had a parrot for like 
50 years like parents live a mm -hmm. really long time apparently which it I would cuss right that was the one that filthy mouth parrot and yeah, because his, it was around andrew jackson <laughs> yeah and at his funeral it, it was just flying around dropping f-bombs and, and 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 dive bombing uh you know grievers the mourners at uh, at the, the state funeral um that's kind of strange i don't know what that par parrot's name was but i'll find that out I find that sort of fascinating that there was a first bird. Mm -hmm. I think there's been like skunks and porcupines and all sorts of things. In the White House? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is, yeah it's a fascinating history, I'm sure. We'll have to find out sometime. I did a story once, uh, I did an article on presidential campaign songs that I loved. I'm so excited and proud of the story. Um, which I think can still be found online probably, but it's, you know, like George Washington, he had two campaign theme songs. He, he ran unopposed. I mean, he didn't even have an opponent and he had two theme songs. So like, there's a really rich history there. And some of them are really bitter songs and angry. Like, the, uh, you know, uh, there was Stephen Douglas had one about uh, Andrew, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln that called him a, a, a baboon and said that he'd been, he was Satan's agent. Like, I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh, dude. Like you work for the devil and you look like a baboon. Like, you know, you don't, you, that's the song, like sing along everybody. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's extremely distasteful given the time period and what uh, Lincoln stood for and Douglas didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There was, it was uh, all kinds of un unfortunate things. I and mean, then sometimes people were really, uh, weren't very self-aware, like, you know, Taft, who was, uh, you know, who, who weighed in at 360 plus, you know, was the heaviest president in the history of the country. Uh, and his campaign theme song was get on a raft with Taft. And I mean, that's like, that is like the last thing you want to do. That's a meme though. I, I respect that. That is, that's it's an early meme. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty on crack. <laughs> yeah. And, and it does rhyme. I got to hand you that. It's memorable. Get on a raft with Taft. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Ike for president, though, especially when you get, speaking of pets, the cute animated elephant just parading around. Oh, yeah. That's just game over, especially I'm actually where I'm from in Illinois is um, I'm right down the road from Adlai Stevenson's house where wow. he filmed his campaign ad, which is like, I'm the man from Libertyville, Illinois. I'm here at oh, home yeah. in my library because I want to address you person to person. It's nothing fancy, but this is the kind of person I am. And he just talks for like 10 minutes. Right. And it's like, you see Ike for president. It's just like two, like <laughs> 30 seconds of animated crack in a, in a catchy tune. It's like, you're yeah. over i'm sorry yeah. it's true it's true you know like uh, there's a tradition that people just like they like direct speaking and and stuff you know i i covered a presidential campaign um in 2000 and gore and and bush being up close following them on the campaign trail mm -hmm. and stuff and seeing how different they were there was one thing that i thought was very illustrative um uh, just a quick thing uh, to wrap it up but uh uh al gore I was talking to him and it was an off the record conversation. Like there was a group of reporters talking to him and it was off the record, deep background, not for attribution. So like, this is like, you mm -hmm. can't touch this stuff. Like it's just, it's just for you to know and you can't even write it. And we were talking, we were talking about complicated campaign choices he was making regarding Bill Clinton. But the conversation was over and we had been in Pennsylvania that day at an ice cream shop. And I had been with the candidate. I was the pool reporter. 
so in this little tight room uh, with him and and just casually as the fleeting conversation as the conversation was winding down I said uh, Mr. Vice President so what's uh, I saw you had Rocky Road today at the ice cream shop is that your favorite flavor and it was kind of a joke and this is again deep background off the record not for attribution this is you know and he's like well Jeff I also like pistachio and butter pecan and he began listing and i was like oh my god this guy is afraid to make a decision he's afraid to lose the pistachio vote like he, he could not <laughs> he, he like this is this isn't even going in the paper i'm not even writing it down and he's still like oh no i don't want to upset the pistachio vote. and if you had asked george w bush that same question he would go hey if you said george w what's your uh, what's your favorite ice cream <laughs> beer and, and it, he would just said it, and and people like that because they don't think it's overthought mm-hmm. and convoluted and and rationalized and articulated, and they just they like well, I, he, this guy may be smart, smarter, but I think he's overthinking it. And this guy, I, I know he says what he thinks, so I'll go with him. And I really mm-hmm. think that that's that was a big thing, like um, the decisiveness of uh, or lack of artifice of direct speaking. Hmm. That's what, and this especially applies to super pets. Uh, what do you mean by that? Like, well, they just—I'm just trying to tie it back in very clumsily. I'm just saying, like, you know, they—they're very direct speakers, even if they bark. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, when you, as a comic maker, present a super pet, it's got to be like all out there, memorable, decisive. This is crypto, or this is yeah. Uh, what's the cat streaky 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 yeah Yeah. i mean yeah you've just described them to me but i already have a clear kind of mental image of each one so um it's not like (laughs) i would hate to see like a gritty reboot of like a a superhero dog movie it's like crypto is complicated yeah yeah. Like well, he has you know, like this thousand yard stare. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they kind of did that a little bit, like in that Teen Titans show, the Titans on uh, on uh, the DC. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they had a crypto show up, and he was like in a like science lab, and he was like penned up, and it, it's kind of is you're right, it's a little grim. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it all turned out fine. It all turned out fine, so that's good. All right. Well, thanks well, so much is, for talking. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder to check out Mitchell's versus the machines. It's it's a lot of fun, wasn't it? I really enjoyed watching it. I think everybody will like it. Uh, yeah, Manchi the pug it was another one with just clear design. Like you you see Manchi on screen, and you just know immediately what this pug is about. <laughs> He's kind of uh, off in his own world of eating bugs and <laughs> yeah, um, just is chilling. So. Yeah, he's uh, definitely he's got the character of the family. So, and uh, I hope we get to see him again sometime. Yeah. All right. Oh, Manchi sequel. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he he'll be part of the draft if we if we get a get a fantasy pets league together. I'm telling you, I think it it, it it's going to come unleashed. It's going to be great. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Okay.